0: Disclosure. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, any and all information presented in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for specific, individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making any decision. Hello everyone, Ben Kitty again with the WCP. So getting another podcast ready for you guys this Monday evening, hope you all had a great weekend. But this next podcast is with Pawan Mishra. He is a co-founder over at Mudra Capital, which is a crypto hedge fund. And we had a really interesting conversation. So without much further ado, let's jump into it, thanks and we are live Pawan hello how are you doing today i'm
1: doing well thanks for having me today
0: yeah yeah i'm i'm super excited to get into this with you but for everyone listening it is yet another episode of the wealth crypto podcast and today i have on Pawan Mishra he is found co-founder right of Mudra Capital which is a crypto hedge fund and really I'm just excited to learn a little bit more about what you do, how you can help financial advisors, and then, you know, I think maybe I'll just turn it over to you to start and just introduce a little bit about you, how you got here, what your background is, what Mudra does, and and we'll go from there. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So um,
1: I've been working at Fidelity for several years, so 17 years before. Uh, about a couple of years ago, I decided to start mudra capital um and the idea was to help people like me and my co-founder Neeraj mathur um, who don't have will really skill or time to invest into crypto so crypto requires a long learning curve there are thousand projects you know coming every day and you have to be on telegrams because it is start of an innovation and you know, you know how innovation works that there is early period where you know the way I would put it is that the cars come first before infrastructure. You know, come uh, you know completely. So yeah. roads are not like smooth. You know, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> right? Cars come first, and then people build roads because you have to prove that innovation brings value. So yep. that's crypto has been you know in the last few years in. It is important for people to spend a lot of time before they start investing. So mm-hmm. we heard horror stories of rug pulls and you know, me and my co-founder firsthand experience. You know, a lot of uh, every bit of everything that is going in crypto. So we told each other that hey, there's a lot of opportunity now that we know about crypto. Mm -hmm. know about what it really is and we know about you know, there are a lot of scam uh, projects going around. Uh, There's a lot of opportunity for helping people like us, you know, who want to leverage this innovation uh, into investments but they don't know you know, how to go about it. So we decided to start Mudra Capital and we started with three funds. Uh, First one we call Blue Chip Fund which is investing, helping investors invest in um, infrastructural projects or OGs, I, we call them like Bitcoin yeah. of the world, you know, which allow exposure, yeah. to known projects, then the second fund is value fund. So value fund is basically investing in undervalued projects, which uh, people don't know about in one such project that we had been tracking for a long time is XYO for just for an example. When me and my co-founder started looking at it, it was a million-dollar market cap. And then within like, uh, you know, six months, uh, last year, it went to close to one billion market cap. So just to give oh, wow. an idea that it be- it became like a thousand times because it was under the radar, nobody knew about it. And it was building a technology okay. that was going to make uh, satellite technology, a, part of it redundant, right? So it was yeah. The cell phone notes and stuff like that. So we kind of, you know, value as part of value fund, we research projects which are going to be uh, technology breakthrough for future. They're going to bring yeah. new functionality, and then we get in early. We have our investors get in early in there, and then third fund that you know we started running is called metaverse and gaming fund. And everybody knows about how big this is going to be yeah. <laughs> you know, And crypto is at the core of it. So uh, that allows investors to not worry about, hey, where am I putting my money when metaverse is going to be big? Uh, we take care of that. So we do research around which are the good metaverse and gaming projects and invest in that. Now, right now, we only invest in liquid tokens. So we're not going okay. Grounds. we're not going into buying NFTs, we're not doing too much of staking and DeFi, because, yeah. you know, market going through a cycle right now, it is time to buy and hold, you know, for, yeah. for projects that are very promising. And the other thing is that this is pretty much uh, the, uh, you know, I would say that this is uh, only for accredited qualified investors right now, yeah. because, You cannot start a mutual fund or any form of retail investment in. So, so that's you know what we we started you know Mudra Capital with those three funds, and there has been steady flow into our funds even though market has been down because there's certain set of people who realize that this is the time to buy as well. Yeah, Yeah. So that's belief about you know how we got started. Um, And before that, I was working with. Fidelity for 17 years. And okay. uh, last few years, five, seven years, uh, I spent building uh, the wealth management platform, uh, okay. you know, from scratch. So um, across, you know, offerings that Fidelity has around, you know, advice and planning. Uh, we build this planning advice platform that Powered, you know, across different customer segments, like workplace customers, wealth planning, and retail customers, and, you know, advisor-based planning, and uh, high net worth planning. So this sure. platform-powered wealth planning across all those use cases. So I built yeah. that uh, with, with you know, obviously many uh, in my team over the last five years at Fidelity that
0: I have. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, that, I mean, that's a super thorough introduction. I'm sure that we've got a lot to kind of pull apart there for sure. Um, I did just kind of want to maybe zoom back in on just fidelity and your experience there for a second. And just, I mean, obviously fidelity's been sort of a captain of wealth management for ever. Right. So I'm curious, like what, you know, what were you seeing at fidelity? And then, you know, Fidelity was early into crypto too, like way back in, what was that, like 2013 or 14 or something like that. I don't know if you were involved in those conversations, but, you know, from your seated Fidelity, what what were you seeing and how did you kind of slowly grow into this, you know, now hedge fund opportunity? Like, was there kind of like the aha moment you'd mentioned, um, you know, just having somebody you trusted essentially to manage it because it's so, you know, crazy day to day. Um, Like, how did you just kind of slowly get to from Fidelity into hedge funds? Like, what was the jump off point?
1: Yeah, I would say that it's not that much of an aha moment. I think I would say certainly being at Fidelity, one thing that I as an employee and as an investor, as a customer of Fidelity, realized that nobody treats, you know, customers as well as Fidelity does, you know, uh, kudos to them. You know, when I was in there, every conversation is about customer and how we can really give the best to the customer, right? Okay. Especially, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of learning around how to be customer champion, how to make mm-hmm. sure you treat customers' money much more carefully than your own money. You're always, yeah. you know, thinking about growing it and all that good stuff. Uh, but you know, there was not really an aha moment, you know, from perspective of starting this, you know. Um, yeah. In fact, you know, first thing that me and my co-founder, you know, started working in crypto, we wanted to make an impact and we started thinking about this uh, decentralized application based on Ethereum and Avalanche that we wanted to roll out, which was going to bring all aspects of DeFi under one platform. So you know how, you know, uh, SushiSwap and PancakeSwap and a lot of other you know, and staking applications, a lot of aggregators, you know, were doing uh, yeah. work like two years back, and that was the time we were thinking about rolling out this product, which would bring, you know, yield farming, staking, lending, borrowing under one. Uh, platform, so okay, sure, yeah. To to compound or Avi for lending borrowing, you have to go to SushiSoft or Yield Farm. Yeah. go to specific different platforms for staking. So we need to bring everything, you know, under one platform. And um, you know, we you, you might know Mudit Gupta, he was our you know lead consultant. So we are working very closely on okay. you know, good progress on that product. And then somewhere we realized that you know there were there were a lot of uh, manpower by that time there were a lot of uh, brain power that was already you know uh, trying to grab that you know land or bringing defi oh. you know consolidation together so me and my partner said the biggest opportunity at that point was really to educate investors sure. and they don't get burned so we kind of shifted a little bit so okay. question that when you know i was leaving fidelity you know i did not have this idea of starting the fund, you know, me and my partner were really uh, building this DeFi application which was all aspects of DeFi together. So uh, it was more of like, uh, you know, new innovation coming and a lot of people still think that, you know, crypto is Bitcoin and education to be done here that is crypto is really technology, it's not Mm -hmm. cryptocurrency per se, right? And everything in the barter system, like you can exchange everything for everything else, right? So because every asset in every digital asset could be traded, people confuse digital assets for cryptocurrency, right? But this is really next version of internet, decentralized version of internet. So education was very important, you know, for the people and uh, me and my partner decided that that's where we need to double down. We need to make sure that like, you know, some of us in my generation you know tell our parents hey if you bought infosys or ibm you know uh, early yeah. on you could have been richer me and my partner often talk about that okay that's what we are doing right now educating people so they uh-huh. get in early in this innovation, so that they feel good about you know diversifying a little bit into this portfolio, which is uh very promising right now,
0: yeah, yeah, no, I think it's i mean i I was writing some down and started there on my notes so it's interesting that you actually started on the technology side and we're actually trying to build a platform to assemble all these various different protocols. Cause you're right. Like if you want to go do, you know, some sort of lending thing, you go here. If you want to do staking, you go there and yield farming is there and there's a million people doing a million things like, you know, that is what it is. But it's interesting that you came from an actual technical like aspect of building it and then transitioned into basically another business. Like, Oh wait, we could like explain this space to all these people who are curious about it, but don't have the time and know how to understand it.
1: And it's important. It's super important because I'll tell you, when people think about crypto, the like majority of people belong to two categories. One category is just thinking that it is the way, the only way right now to get overnight rich. So you buy something <laughs> like Dogecoin, and somebody yeah. is going to tweet about it, and then you know your money is going to be hundred x in no time. Yeah. Internet. And then, you know, other set of people are who understand the technology, and they understand what it is doing. They understand it's just like when car first came, when internet first came. And it's not about one business. It's not about one technology. It's about the whole thing. So crypto yeah. is not about, you know, let's say about DeFi finance or you know product uh, like movie making or music streaming. Yeah. Like internet changed everything and crypto is the same thing, right? It's gonna change everything. So um, you know the, the the first set of people unfortunately are in majority today, right? And and yeah. then a lot of them are you know, people with big accounts on Twitter. So they are so called experts in crypto telling people to buy these, you know, projects that have nothing. In- under Influencers, yeah, influencers <laughs> right? So they're <laughs> like, buy Bitcoin, buy this, you know, I, I you know, Bitcoin is legendary, by the sure. way, and all that, but you have to, you know, uh, you have to qualify your recommendation with a lot of insights and research. And yeah. I think a lot of these people not telling you know the real story that the real thing here is the technology which is going to you know change the world very soon right so sure. from technology perspective you know uh, what you were saying earlier uh, really brings that you know uh, puts us in a very good spot where we can educate people and say Hey, so this project you're talking about, this project doesn't have any substance because they can't even explain their tokenomics, the ecosystem will not work. So we're yeah. doing this in a much better way. For example, we can explain to them how helium is going to work. You know, yeah. um, th- th- There were internet outages in my area for three days, four days, and you couldn't make a call, you couldn't text somebody, a friend, you couldn't use internet. And, you know, helium is that kind of a use case where it just eliminates any, you know, failure, single point of failures like that. And that's the power of decentralization and crypto. So we can explain, you know, how it works and we can also get into a white paper very quickly, you know, from our background and then quickly, you know, make people realize, you know, how much a certain project is. So you're spot on there. I think tech, uh, crypto is a very different uh, investment space where if you really want to be an investment manager and you really want to be an analyst, you need to understand technology really well.
0: Yeah. So there's there's like so much in there that I was thinking of as you were saying that. So I was actually talking with another hedge fund guy yesterday who's basically making a point that like that you're making that if you really just don't understand what's going on with the technology and these protocols, these companies, whatever you want to call it, you're potentially setting yourself up for a nasty kind of consequence. Like you really do need to understand what's going on. And, you know, even if you were to stick to like, say, the top 10 on CoinMarketCap, for example, we saw earlier this year that even your top 10s, your Terra Lunas and your Celsius could still end up in trouble and then you know, you hear these horror stories, right? So it's um, it's an interesting time. Like I wanted to kind of touch on for a second, just, you know, you've got these different strategies. What is your process around security, to security selection? Like how do you begin to evaluate something from maybe seeing something that's interesting to doing your deep dive fundamental stuff and ultimately getting into a position? How do you guys think that through?
1: That's a great question, so first of all, we don't touch securities, so even the tokens, sure, yeah, yeah, you know, so we stay away from that, we have you know consultants, we kind of consult with them when we have doubt about something being token versus security, so okay, let's go you know any tokens that are a bit controversial, whether they are utility tokens, governance token, or securities, so yeah. Uh, token selection, you know, is a long process. So definitely much more complex, in the sense, you know, that you have to go to many forums, you have to, you know, uh, every day you have to research on what's going on, you know, because um, it's not like four or five parameters, it's like, maybe 50 parameters that come together, right? So Mm -hmm. foremost is before anything else. What is the goal of this particular yeah. token? For example. Yeah. Take, take an example of Luna, right? So Luna building a platform, just like Ethereum, you know, and where okay. other projects come and build on it. But then they started this stable coin, which was yeah. backed by the token. Mm-hmm. And The dynamics of backing it on your own token, what happens if your token goes down, right? So how Mm -hmm. would you sustain the price of that stablecoin? Now, they did have, you know, a huge amount of Bitcoins, which when really... Collateral, right.
0: Oh, you're okay. No big deal.
1: (laughs) So when... I'm sorry, I need to switch it off. So uh, the thing is that when you really are building a quality product, you have to be very thorough about it, right? So uh, it was by design flawed, right? Mm -hmm. So the real, real thing in crypto is that you have to really look at the value that provide the business use case it is solving. So if there is no business use case, or there is no solid business use case, then the project is not going to survive, right? So yep. so that is the first thing we look at. And I talked about Helium a little earlier, another yeah. project I mentioned is Render. So nobody's thinking about when everybody's on metaverse, who's going to provide the GPU capacity that will be needed, you know, to run the world. And yeah. Render is just doing that. So, so many I, big... I, I-
0: yeah. I, not to interrupt, but I'd love to kind of get into metaverse at some point here because I'm reading a book right now talking about one of the fundamental challenges associated with it, which is just computing power and rendering all this stuff in real time, right? Um, yeah. So, yeah, uh, but that's a whole so, other rabbit yeah.
1: hole. <laughs> yeah, so l- when we look into researching these tokens, we look into the future. We're not looking yep. into... That you know somebody's gonna make a call on Dogecoin, let's buy Dogecoin. A little bit of that, like you want to ride the wave as well. Sure. Primarily we're looking at how the world is gonna look three years from now. Yeah, mm-hmm. who are current providers who are going to be leading that world, right? So yeah. imagine three years from now, many, very high percent of people is going to be living in metaverse, right? And yeah. then there are many cloud providers, leading cloud providers who claim that they have infinite capacity. We know that they choke on certain days, right? You know, they just don't have capacity because it doesn't matter that they deploy their solutions across the world, they're still single point of failure, because they're still single providers, right? They might have like, you know, several reasons and all of that. Now, crypto, only crypto can solve for that because crypto, you're not talking about five or six or 10. Every person running a node actually results in like millions of nodes, right? For sure. This yeah. And
0: so you're talking about to- kind of like one day potentially having a decentralized network of like these mega nodes with mega processing power and technology will hopefully get us there when is the question, right?
1: Yeah, and Render is doing that already for GPU process. Okay. So okay. when you run Metaverse applications, right, imagine every kid in the Metaverse playing games. Yeah. Where will you get that capacity from? Because sure. even today, when that's not there, the capacity is not enough. Nobody can serve that level of capacity, right, that we okay. already need without Metaverse, right? So okay. Metaverse comes in, that need becomes 10x or 20x. Now, the solutions we have been using, the centralized solutions, cloud providers will not work. The only yeah. solution that will work, which are decentralized, because they have truly close to infinite capacity, because there are millions of users who are willing to give their capacity. So the more yeah. is that, you know, you have a computer, you have GPU capacity, you don't work on your computer in the nights, and you say, okay, you know, render you give me, you know, token for using my capacity, and I give you my capacity. So they hook you in the center. Yeah, yeah, okay. capacity world, and then whoever wants to consume, they will buy Render tokens, right? And then, yep. you know, get capacity. So that's how the tokenomics works for Render. And Render is a real world use case. And there yep. are many of them, there's a live peer, which is basically doing what you know, many video, top video providers, video streaming pro- providers do at like 100 times the cost, Livepeer is doing at 100 of course already because of uh, being efficient with cap- uh, with the uh, computing power uses. So, yeah. so that's very important that you need to have a use case that you're solving that in the future world, fast forward, now nobody is in metaverse, not that many people are in metaverse today. Yeah is down the line, when people will realize that oh, who got this service right, then render yeah. goes right, and then suddenly you realize that everybody is going crazy about render. Now, yeah. this is no financial advice. I'm just taking some examples sure. and, just to make sure you understand, you know, the the yeah. use cases.
0: Yeah, and uh, and don't worry, I've got disclosures prior to the podcast too, so it is stated very clearly. This is not financial advice. <laughs> um, so that's no, one. So- uh yeah no i mean this is all super interesting so like you you guys kind of view the world through this lens of what the future looks like how do you would you say it's like kind of like almost a thematic approach like do you guys just like throw ideas at the wall and kind of talk it through and be like do we like this do we not where do these ideas come from like how do you approach that
1: yeah so that's a great question so What we do typically is we kind of um, make a metrics and we look at all the businesses that generally, you know, all the sectors in in So we look at like 20-30 different business areas and we look at each and see, you know, which are the uh, leading projects in those areas, right? So okay. those leading projects, which are really building something very promising, which is yeah. going to change that particular, those particular business areas. And then we next, you know, so let's say we in one area, we shortlist about 40-50 projects. And then we go to next level and we look at the history of that project, the team that is driving that project. Yeah. And whoever is supporting that project, because they're Good VC is a bad VC, like good VCs <laughs> for you know good technology innovations yeah. and long yeah. play. Bad VCs want to just get the tokens out there, dump it on the market and get them yeah. the money back. So yeah. we look at that, you know, who is backing the projects, and then we look at if there are real, you know, people who understand crypto, you know, by heart into it, like. Sam, uh, Sam is one. Sam Bankman is one such person. And so, um, so we look at like any of those associated with the projects, or they are endorsing the project, or they appreciate project, you know, a particular project. So we look yeah. at that as, and then we look at what they're building on, you know. So if, obviously, you know, me and my partner, you know, we. No projects like Luna, you know, and kind of problems they will face in future. Yeah, and we've been very bullish on Ethereum because, yeah, you know, Ethereum always, you know, these guys know what they're doing. And even to date, like ninety to ninety-five percent of leading applications are on Ethereum. So I know, yeah, yeah. multiple other chains get popular, uh, question to ask is are they truly decentralized, right, and things like that.
0: So, so, so that's uh, the thing that we. Quick question there, specifically on Ethereum. So we we went from proof of work to proof of uh, stake, right? And one of the concerns that I've read is that it can potentially lead to a potential centralization of power in a certain sense, like being able to validate or reject transactions, as an example. Given that you think so, it would appear that you think really hard about decentralization as, like, you know, the end state that should be pursued, like. Do you have a concern about that or how do you, how do you think about that with the merge happening so recently?
1: Yeah, I think so if you think about this, I think it boils down to the access to computing power versus access to like tokens, like how much stake you have okay. you know, in a particular platform, right? So I think there are two different ways to implement decentralization. Okay. Now, I think the characteristics are different. So let's say you are privileged to have very high degree of computing in your data center. And even with the existing proof of work mechanism, you know, there are certain pools, right, where, you know, the computing is happening, in a way, they own very large part of these decentralized applications, right? So, Proof of mistake, I think, is a different paradigm, right? So okay. it, in my opinion, it doesn't make this problem worse. I okay. think it just translates into this problem into another different kind of setup, right? So the problem mm-hmm. still stays, but then you know it is a different paradigm, right? So in my opinion, it doesn't make it worse. It just moves it from, you know, basically the pools that control computing power to the pools now that computing is taking powers. Okay, so that, yeah, that's yeah. my opinion on it. Uh, but again, I would also say this that, you know, Ethereum is going very close to Bitcoin's market cap right now, right? And, yeah. and it goes at this rate might as well cross Bitcoin's, you know, uh, market cap, specifically, now that they brought in, you know, deflationary mechanism into play, right. So, mm-hmm. so if you think, you know, uh, generally, you would think that there's not much emission of additional Ethereum happening. So maybe, you know, the market cap will go down, but it will actually go up because people see more value in Ethereum. Mm-hmm. and then you know, the buy pressure is going to be more once the market starts coming back up. So the point really is to your question that it's a different paradigm. And okay. uh, honestly, I think there has not been any platform of the scale of Ethereum that has done it before, right? So yeah. you can do a small platform proof of state, and then uh, you can pocket two, three million dollar worth of that token and you can move the world with yep. that, yeah. you know, If the market cap is ten million dollar, you can pocket two three million dollar easily. But when the market capital itself is like two hundred billion dollars, (laughs) yeah, is it easy to move? You know, need somebody really somebody to be the richest person in the world or something to yeah. Elon
0: Elon would have to give up on uh, Dogecoin and move over to ETH, and maybe there's a chance. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, So. We have to see, but yeah, yeah, I mean,
1: I know I've had this question, a, you know, a lot of times before. I think it's just this, you know, different paradigm, and I think the okay. problem of centralization doesn't go away. It is in proof of work as well, as well as as, as well as in proof of stake. But yeah. it's a different characteristic that it has. Sure.
0: Okay. Um, that kind of leads me to another question because, like, one thing I'd kind of noted is it, it seems like you really view the space through just a technological lens, right? Whereas I think a lot of people, certainly when you say decentralization, think of it almost through, you know, monetary libertarianism type thing, right? Like where people view it as getting away from centralized systems that are out of our control that may or may not act in our best interest and bring it bring that control back to us, right? Um, I guess... The question is just kind of generally high level, like how much weight do you put behind sort of decentralization as a way to sort of move humanity forward and regain more control over a world that kind of seems like, I don't know, I mean, the Fed raised rates 75 basis points today. Maybe they're being a little bit more responsible, but maybe they're crashing the economy and creating unemployment at the same time. So like, but how do you view that with particularly being a fiduciary of other people's capital?
1: Yeah. No, I think that's a great question. You know, I would start by saying that extreme of everything is really bad, right? So there yeah. are people walking around saying that, okay, if regulation comes around, crypto is dead, right? Because it won't be fully decentralized, there is somebody controlling, you know, the way it works. There is no way that yeah. anything that doesn't have regulation will work because it if it doesn't work for a common man, common you know person it doesn't yeah. work for anyone right yeah and, and and I would also say that you know it's always the survival of the fittest so sure. if you're forcing something that is not solving a problem of like a large user base yeah. or large population it will never survive because you can push it you can live a few years with it you can you know Make yeah. some money like disappear after some time right so yeah. in order for crypto to survive it has to really become that mainstream you know thing like yeah. e-commerce i'll give you an example when e-commerce first came and you know we were uh, i was in college and uh, people they most people would not give their credit card information online for yeah. years, right, you know, not only when it came, right. So there is a difference in really apprehension and, and beginning of innovation curve and people feeling skeptical about, you know, uh, piling on it or supporting it or aligning to it versus, you know, something that is out there unnecessarily, right. So there, there's a difference in two things, mm-hmm. right. So Is more like e-commerce that everybody's thinking a bit skeptical about it because it's just the beginning and they don't see the end right now. Like it's more like, okay, if everything is decentralized, who am I going to? Am I going to, like if I lose some money in a protocol, who am I going to? Am I going to Vitalik? So, you know, funny that (laughs) one, you know, I was on uh, on Telegram chat, and somebody says, "Hey, I lost money in this protocol. They ran away." And this person says, "So who who should I get this money back from?" And somebody says, "Go to Vitalik." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Vitalik. Well,
0: so, I, I was so, thinking of another one. Apparently, uh, the South Koreans are having trouble finding Do Kwon right now. They don't know where he is. I guess so. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, he ran away. yeah, yeah. Um, or you could go find Satoshi. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So,
1: so that's clear. But then imagine like I said earlier that cars always have to come before roads are built because yeah. that's how innovation happens. If you just build the roads and what if cars don't work?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Road infrastructure cannot be there right from the beginning, right? Yeah. It has to be Innovation that comes first and then everything else builds around. So yep. in, in other words, what I'm trying to say here that people are afraid of a possibility that is never going to happen. So people are afraid that if everything is decentralized, where am I going? The rules are gonna come, the regulations are gonna come, the protocols yeah. are gonna become matured, right? So just like you know now that in Fifteen years back, for everything you would just call customer service. They will be with you for two hours, three hours, get your issue resolved. You know, most company has shifted, have shifted from that model now. To you know, in order to get to a real person, you have to work hard. You have to find numbers. You oh, have I to know. I get, the menu, like you know, I get so then,
0: frustrated.
1: <laughs> yeah. So two hours you spend to get to somebody, <laughs> but it is still a much more efficient system. You know why? Yeah. Because they have handled it with software, right? So mm-hmm. very few people, maybe only 1% of what the number was 10 years back le- are led to the scenario where they really have to speak to a person because yeah. the have become so intelligent. So now it is also the thing of on average, how much value are you getting, right? So you become an exception when you're looking for somebody to speak to. And mm-hmm. I think in the overall scheme of things, it is much economic, much more economic system for everyone. right? Mm-hmm. And it used to be 10 years back, because that cost of having somebody take your call is going to come back to you as a customer. So you're yeah. not paying that cost. And, you know, so people don't understand the entire picture. So where I'm going with this is that decentralization will become mature, all the apprehensions that people have largely on average will be resolved. Now there will be some edge cases and there will be sure. you know some way to work with those. But people, when they think about decentralization, they think about like, oh, this is like totally somebody is throwing me into the water. And if I have a problem, you know, I don't no. know where to go. So I mean that happens with every new thing that comes, right? You don't there's a lot of uncertainty, but then if it cannot serve you in the way that you're happy about it, it will not survive. So crypto will not survive. They cannot satisfy common men or common person.
0: Yeah. So where where that kind of takes me to is just kind of the growing up of the space. Because I mean, you could, you know, 2017 initial run-ups and ICO crazy and all that sort of stuff. And then big crypto winner and now run up again and now crypto winner again. So now we're getting kind of consolidation, but the people I, I mean, I guess my, my view is kind of narrow because most people I talk to are pretty bullish on the space, but, um, you're starting to see a lot more just kind of like blockchain, just applications, like to real world things, right? So like, um, you know, like KPMG or something, for example, you know, reporting, you know, all your accounting and consulting stuff via blockchain, and it's just way more efficient, or you might have some like enterprise you know, ERP software that is running everything off some blockchain and you've got all these apps and all this data feeds in and it just flows. Like you've got new rails getting set up and it seems that's kind of where to, like where we're moving. Um, I guess my question is just kind of like, where are, are you fairly optimistic over the next, like, you know, maybe six to 12 months about things kind of leveling out and just, continuing to innovate and provide real world sort of use cases that people can actually see.
1: Yeah. So I would talk about the cycle first, right? So you spot on. So there is something called crypto cycle Mm -hmm. and is more coming from the characteristic of how this space, you know, came into being and the kind of people who got involved in the beginning of this space, you know, so I would tell you serious builders were very few in the beginning. And then, you know, over years, the number of serious builders has increased as, you know, more adoption has come into it. So in the beginning, this was some serious innovation, right? Satoshi did fantastic thing that people remember, you know, that person for. Now, after that, what we saw was, you know, except for some Ethereum kind of, you know, projects that came along, like majority of the projects were thrown out there to make quick yeah. money, do rug pulls, right? Yeah. So, so I think that set some of the characteristics of this space early on. So, yeah. and that kind of folded into what we call crypto cycles. So crypto cycle is basically bullish times are here, Bitcoin is going to go to $1 million. Yeah. Buy on man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, people claim that they will do this if Bitcoin doesn't go to one million dollar within a year, right? So that yeah, kind yeah. of thing, you know, get people pumped, and then people realize that, you know, those people are selling. Some of those people who give those calls, they start dumping, you know, because yeah. they accumulated. Now is it their time to dump on the people? So the market again, you know, start going down, and then market really gets into this cycle where. Nobody's no more talking about buying. So what happens is that when the market is bullish, all the serious developers, you know, serious builders, they get carried away as well because, you know, <laughs> the and everybody's saying, okay, you know, people want this, people want that feature, you know, do it, yeah. do it. Because all they care about is money, you know, growing yeah. it and, you know, high and all of that. So they get digressed from what they should be seriously building. Sure. Now, when, when the market goes down, nobody's talking about buying. There's no this, yeah. Influencers pushing, you know, for $1 million uh, Bitcoin and things like that. So the next phase is the phase where developers and teams, truly serious teams, get enough time to sit down and do building. Okay. And what happens after that, that time, let's say last, Three months to nine months or twelve yeah. months depends on the cycle you are in, and then combining with macroeconomic cycle, which is what's happening now, right? So that cycle of you know market going down in crypto has been elongated because of macro you know cycle aligning at yeah. the wrong time, right? So
0: thank you anyway. global central banks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so what happens during that You know, uh, low period and I would say that's the most important period right now what we're going through is the most important period. So what happens during this that all projects heads down develop what they would be releasing over the next few months and those would be big applications, big innovations and they on purpose, are not talking about it yet because yeah. they know that talking about it won't bring any fruits because it won't make people get into those tokens and things like that. So slowly what happens when there is enough consolidation and the cycle starts going back up, these builders were built for six months to one year. Every one of them have this shiny new application. new. Capability.
0: Then they're going to hire a sales guy. And a yeah. marketing guy and get it out there.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then they like we're launching version three, which provides you this. So a lot of innovation, good good development that happens comes out, and then we get into that one million dollar Bitcoin cycle again. Yeah. So so what we're going through right now, yeah. So yeah. so this is the cycle where right now builders have built so much. It's just waiting for that first sign of market going up in long term, and everything Uh, is going to come back. You will see so many new things coming out of this beer market, you know. Okay. That's
0: that's some interesting inside baseball for sure. So, you know, if if the advisors out there are looking for somebody who is plugged in, then maybe Mudra Capital is a place they could go, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We are here. And and um, honestly, education first is what we think, right? So we, yep. when we approach, somebody approaches or we approach them, we never, you know, ask them to invest with us, we educate them, we tell them what internet, you know, this is next version of web and internet, yep. this is what it means. And understanding this space is very important. So education is our first kind of, you know, goal. And it yep. leads to some of them. Now being aware, they also want to park some money with us.
0: Yep. Okay. Cool. So let's 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 finish with I think like a fun one here. The, and this will take probably a little bit to talk through too. Is just um, you know metaverse, Web three, DeFi, all of it. Like this book that I'm reading. I don't know if you've read this yet or not. Um, the Metaverse by uh, I know it's just named so aptly. What's who's the author? It's um, Matthew Ball. But it's kind of getting me caught up on the general sort of framework of it. And, you know, while I'd heard obviously about it, like one thing that I didn't maybe fully appreciate until getting into this book is that a lot of the metaverse is getting driven off of like the history of gaming, right? So at least that's the argument that this guy's taking is that, you know, these digital worlds started, you know, seven, like in the 70s and the 80s with various types of, you know, 2d role-playing games and online communities and all this stuff. And then they continue to evolve and evolve and evolve. And, you know, now one of the companies that this guy's kind of got his eye on is, you know, like Roblox or something like that. It's like a web three or a, uh, you know, metaverse, like, you know, mega player. Right. So I'm curious, just kinda what do you think of the metaverse and like, how do you kind of think about allocating to it? Like where, where does mudra kind of position itself there
1: yeah so first let me give you my two cents on uh, metaverse so i think there is a huge need for going into an alternate world okay without leaving earth so i know <laughs> people are working on taking us to different planet and all that thing but yeah there are probably more people who want to go to a different world while they're on Earth. So Metaverse Mm -hmm. provides that, right? Yeah. Real one, you know, is becoming a reality these days. And, you you know, it is also about how slowly generation over generation, right? We kind of are transitioning to, you know, the idea of... You know, representing our identity, Mm -hmm. which is kind of a different world, right? So, physically not being somewhere, but having a representation of our own self. And you spot on, it was also supported for years by gaming, because in yeah. the game you could become that warrior whose only job is to just kill everybody, you know, you yeah. see on first sight, or whose only job is to provide healing to everybody using. Yeah. And and that's where that's where the demand for a lot of demand for metaverse is coming from. Sure. That people have these feelings that they cannot take on the real world because it's going to be harmful you know, they might get into some perception, if they get the side out, Yeah. you know, in metaverse, it opens up, you. it opens up for you to experience something that you always wanted to experience, but so sure. society has not allowed you, or they would think you were crazy, or yeah. you know, something else, like it doesn't have to be a bad thing, even good things like, you know, yeah, uh, so the real need is coming from a gradual transition generation over generation that we have had where, you know, we have gone from uh, probably, you know, in the Maslow's hierarchy, I think there is a journey that each person makes in Maslow Mar- hierarchy, like of... Uh, material oh, sure. Yeah. You want yeah. And then I think humankind on average has progressed on that hierarchy as well. Where okay largely the basic needs are not that important to me as they were like 20-30 years ago. Sure. So people are becoming, you know, they're a bit higher in that hierarchy of yeah. needs and, and this is coming from that side a little bit that now they, you know, have this need emerging where they need to exercise some of what they always want to do if it was not associated with their real self, right? So maybe, you know, go play a guitar in a band in a virtual world, like it could be that simple thing, right? Yeah. So that's where a lot of need is coming from. Firstly, you know, from gaming giving perspective or creating yeah. that alternate world, you can role play, you can do things that you never imagined in the real world. Now, the second thing is really, you know, coming from the real world need in metaverse. So, you know, COVID showed many of us that going to office, working from office is not at all as efficient as working from home. Yeah, and I know a lot of corporate are still pushing people to work from, unless your job is like that, you know, if you yeah. are a teacher in a classroom, you have to come and teach. But then generally, you know, many jobs can be done from home. Yeah. Now, what Metaverse does is provide you an experience at your own convenience. So what might happen yeah. is that in future, you have like 20 kids enrolled into a class, it could be any class, it could be Let's say middle school class, it could be a college class, it could be just a class based on interest. Now, what you can do with that is you don't necessarily have to go physical and introduce this is how I look, you know, this is how I, you know, wear stuff. You can have the same experience with a profile you want to create for yourself. So you will say, okay, this is how look I look, this is what I wear. By the way, digital fashion is probably going to be the biggest in the next 2 3 years digital fashion it's counterintuitive you know like it was 2 3 years ago when we started talking about decentralized land, land uh, you know going for a lot of uh, you know millions of dollars and things yeah. like that people didn't believe us digital fashion is the next trend right so when you go okay. in metaverse you need nice boots you need you know, nice dressing sense, you need fashion, you know, and all of that. You're ah. saying, right? So so that is what the need is right now, the second degree or second need that I think important need in the met in building the metaverse, that the the situations that required you physically to be there are going to transform into virtual situations where not only you can do stuff sitting at home, getting the same experience where you're sitting next to your you know, colleagues talking to them, and you can also dress and you know look the way you like, right? Yeah. And imagine experience of going to Walmart today. You can recreate that experience in Metaverse. You can take your card, go to you know different aisles. You know, you can actually touch and feel and put products into your cards and things like that. So I think Metaverse is going there at some point where it will create that world for you now. I am really a physical world guy. I would rather sit, you know, under yeah. a tree and experience the breeze. But I I see the trend. You know, it's not yeah. people like me who are in majority right now. It's people who want that experience, which is you know different from their real self. So sure, so that's where second biggest need is coming from for metaverse. Thirdly. I think metaverse is also crucial in terms of digital identity, right? And in in, in the, the digital property, because yeah. people are going to build in metaverse very soon, right? And, you know, right now, people can't even imagine that why would somebody pay a million dollars for something in metaverse, in digital world, but, you know, how humans eventually come to terms with evolution i think yeah. at some point we will look at digital assets just like we look at taj yeah. and standing in front because you will see that some sometimes you wear those glasses and the you know surroundings just mesmerize you right so that thing will be sold and you know you will say yeah. i want to buy this experience right and that will be real one day now today it is not so yeah, so, so that's where Metaverse is really going and gaming uh, is pushing it in faster. Uh, so gaming cannot be isolated from Metaverse you know, as of now. I think gaming is larger part of Metaverse as of yeah,
0: now. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Shoot, I mean, you got me thinking like, uh, I don't know if <laughs> this is going to sound kind of nerdy, but uh, <laughs> if there is a digital world that I might be inclined to pay for, I don't know if you're watching um, the new Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. But when they show Numenor in, uh, what was that, like episode three or four? I was like, oh, my gosh, this would be a place for metaverse right here. Like, this place is so cool.
1: (laughs) So, you know, honestly, what I think, the next thing will be that in metaverse, again, I think it's like I said, car comes first and infrastructure. So there's a lot of, you know, infrastructure being built right now with renders of the world coming and with, you know, there will be like, you know, you know how Unreal Engine and those, you know, gaming softwares are, you just, yeah. you don't have to build everything, you just build on top of the platform. Yeah. So I think Meta- there will be Metaverse platforms and that's what we kind of look for, you know, as investors as well. Now, those platforms basically will allow you to build something quickly on top of that. So what very likely is going to happen is that people are going to go back to a book. So you can just enter Harry Potter
0: yeah. first book. And just build Hogwarts.
1: Yeah. Just do like whatever, and maybe you can be creative with it. And, you know, I don't know. So yeah, potential is immense.
0: So, I mean, I can see it almost like, I I really see the application of the metaverse from like a pleasure standpoint, whether it's gaming or like tourism, or you just want to go to like some crazy, some relaxing place or hike a mountain or whatever. I can kind of see that, I guess. I guess I wonder what else comes out of it that's not so obvious, right? So like I think, you know, with technology everyone can kind of see like with the internet, you know, like people could maybe kind of see e-commerce, like buy stuff online. But did you ever think, you know, that you could I don't I don't know like what like uh like you could go to you know Instagram for Tesla and then you could put a reservation down on a $100,000 Tesla truck and then you know a year later it's there right like we don't really know what the metaverse will fully look like so I I guess I'm just curious what what will come out of it that is unanticipated right I don't know if you have any thoughts about maybe the stretch goal of what the metaverse could look like
1: yeah so i mean i would say that this is just like like I earlier said, you know, uh, when the, when the uh, you know, internet came, you know, uh, the way people thought or used it in the beginning, nobody could have thought and I'll give you this example when web 1.0 first came, you wouldn't have imagined and I lived that through that time and I, you know, even though I was a very progressive technical person, I couldn't imagine on day one when web 1.0 came, like when you had those pages, Netscape, you know, it lists, you know, pages. I couldn't imagine that one day, I could just go and update a page like this. Very, oh yeah, It was very counterintuitive. Right? Yeah. So it was always somebody has to build the page, deploy it, and then technology evolution takes care of those things. So yeah. I think it happens with every innovation that use cases unfold as you go on. I think metaverse in itself is going to be kind of an economy in itself, right? So yeah. there will be every sort of business in metaverse taking place. Now, I will tell you that there are already several use cases, like many firms already have offices in metaverse and they're meeting customers. So oh, yeah, you don't yeah. have to reveal your identity. So and then the second thing is the reputational you know index your reputational score is going to be big so you can be so you will have unique identity in metaverse and based on how you behave across you know in that world your reputation score will be calculated and will be available on the chain so when you go for in in future world when you go for loan for example right you yeah. will be highly likely to get loan at the better interest rate, right? So so I think reputation-based businesses and and like credit score doesn't mean much, right? You know, it does show that your financial transactions, you know, you've not done them well or whatever, but reputational score takes it to the level. It really talks about your karmas, right? So so I think that will come along really big way, you know, allowing different businesses to go to the next level in terms of serving, you know, customers and end users based on their reputational the score. And it's not just that you're buying and selling something, if you're a teacher, if you're teaching some subject, you know, in metaverse, your reputational score will be the first thing people will consider, not your knowledge. So things like that, I think it the, the penetration of metaverse is going to be huge. Again, it is like, going to go across the industries, not just one area. So I think that is always entertainment. You know, like when internet first came, it was used for entertainment for like 99% of the, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, shoot, let's see. We're, I mean, we're at an hour. I did want to cover just real quick, because I don't think any of my other guests so far have ever written a book and had it you know, so what? what's it, what is it on your website? Sold like a hundred thousand copies. Um, yeah. Uh, so I saw that and was just really curious, like about this other kind of creative side of what you do. So, um, you know, what, what is your book? Where'd that come from? What was that like?
1: So uh, when, I, when I was growing up in a small city of a you know, I had this uh, writer in me and uh, right from the age of like uh, Eight years, um, okay. so I was I was known as a kid, you know, who would write a story about anything. So my friends would say, "Okay, can you write an interest, interesting story on this fan, or in yeah. this dust on this dustbin or on this TV?" Like they would give me any boring topics, yeah, and I would write a story. So that became like a thing, you know, for okay. people who knew me, yeah, and. Uh, Fast forward when I was in uh, working, you know, in my first job, there was this person who used to jingle coins in his right pocket, and yeah. uh, it used to annoy a lot of people. So there, oh. there's you know one so that's a, what a of mine who knew. Of, so they said, okay, you know, uh, you write stories, you used to write stories about people like about odd situations, can you write a story about this? So I started I took that challenge after like it was after several years, I took that challenge in 2003. And then, uh, you know, I wrote first, I think five, six pages story. And I, I, my friend liked it. But then I I thought this was a highly challenging project, because, you know, for yeah. somebody who wanted to create story from nothing, yeah, know, this was huge. So I went on writing a book, which was on my computer. So I finished it in 2006. It was yeah. on my computer for several years until 2015, when I was changing team. And there was some time, you know, to kind of put it out there. And I, you know, lost my dad in 2013. So I was like, okay, you know, life doesn't have a lot of time. You know, you should do what you want to do. That yeah. kind of thinking kind of uh, came to uh, my mind as a permanent thing. So I said, okay, th- this book, I have to get out. So I basically worked a little bit on it and self published it. And nice. It it sold those many copies without even doing active advertising or anything. You know, uh, It's a weird book. So <laughs> if you were a real formula story guy, you know, uh, Hollywood stories, you won't like it. But if you really want to read something Something unique, you know. Yeah. Then, so it just gets either one star or five star. There's typically <laughs> nothing in between. People <laughs> either hate it or they like it a lot.
0: Nice. Nice. Well that's um I mean Jude, that's point. that's an, that's an incredible like thought process. Your friends are just kind of like trolling you almost. Like you can't write a story about a pen and then you write an interesting story about a pen, and they're like, Oh well, it's just a crazy creative writing process. Um Interesting. Does does that help inform kind of how you view the world as far as your investments go? Like in terms of trying to pull themes or ideas or think super creatively about something? Yeah, I mean
1: it does help with the out of box thinking, right? So yeah. when you try to create something from nothing, right, that's what the idea is. Like People give me if I have to write a normal story, I can write it very fast, and people will love it. But I would rather not do that because it becomes <clears throat> predictable, and you basically, in a way, exploit people's emotions. You think, okay, if I write like this, they will like it, they will love it, you know. So what I wanted to do was, you know, write something which is unique, offering to the world. Like it's not just another story, but it is a very different thing that was created only once. So yeah. that gives me a lot of satisfaction. And gotcha. to your question, yes. Yeah. It does open up more avenue for lateral thinking because, sure. I mean, you're thinking on a guy, you know, 300 pages on a guy who jingles coins in his pocket and then you have <laughs> to basically, you have to make up everything.
0: Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, uh, well, we'll finish with this for, for the book. What were like the main themes that, Came out of it. Like, did you go with any in mind that you wanted to talk to, or did they? Did these kind of main thematic elements just appear
1: um, in the book? You mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, yeah. I don't know if you would say there's a couple of main themes that people pull out of it, or maybe it's different for every person. But I'd be curious to know how. Yeah, I mean. That.
1: So there was there there was a theme of bullying that okay. came out. Okay, growing up, I saw you know, uh, so a couple of things, right? So uh, how the females were treated in the society when I was growing up, that came up, you know, and then, you know, I saw at offices, you know, uh, treatment of employees sometimes, you know, by managers, you know, obviously not within my immediate office, but, you know, from the story. Yeah, yeah. you you see it. I think the theme of bullying uh, came across uh, as a main theme I would also say that I'm a big satire guy you know I'm, oh nice <laughs> like yeah, I mean but only in in writing I try yeah. not to do satire yeah. because it's, like people don't like it
0: right so some, well, so some people love it like I love it but some people take it a little too seriously at times so <laughs> yeah exactly
1: yeah so satire in the book you know pretty much half a book is satire, like, you okay. know, the way somebody's delivering a, a sentence is not what that person really means, you know, sure. like that. Sure, so, sure, nice. So that's another thing in the book.
0: Nice, well, um, we just did an hour, easy. Um, any final thoughts that you just wanna leave people with? Where to find you guys? Like, maybe types of clients you work with? Anything about Mudra that you want to, wanna to push out there?
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, there is obviously risk with every innovation, and nobody can guarantee that, you know, uh, certain innovation, which is in early phases now, even though I think it is crypto is entering mass adoption, you know, mm-hmm. very quickly, like within a few minutes. Yeah. So, but there's a risk with every innovation. And I would say that from my experience, anything as big as this, where now every institution is trying to have, A bite on it, you know, they're going to develop on it. And from history, nothing getting this big attention has ever failed, right? So my sense would be that, okay, if you're a skeptic, you love your 80-20 or 60-40 portfolio, continue doing that. But then if you don't want that feeling of missing out on this in future, just diversify 5% or 1 or 2 3% yeah. of your portfolio because if it sure. goes down it is not that much of impact on your portfolio yeah. if it is if it goes where people think it will go then probably that 5% will be as much as your and no financial advice it's just yeah, yeah. <laughs> how innovation technologies work right when you invest in them that 5% could be pretty significant, right? If it works sure, the way yeah. it works. From a perspective, you know, you can go to mudra.capital and you know all the details are in there. Uh, you can always connect, you know, people can connect with me on LinkedIn. You know, me and my partner are very, very happy to conduct just education cent- uh, sessions, you know, okay. nothing in, you know, and we want to educate people, but if you want to invest you know, we want to let you know that our competitors don't accept less than $500,000 in yeah. minimum investment. Uh, because, you know, you have to have experts doing research and all that. Yeah, uh, We made it very accessible. So we allow $50,000 in okay. each fund. And our back end, our, our providers are same. So we work with Coinbase Prime, we have, yeah. you know, our Coinbase Prime, we have account with Fireblocks, uh, so and we have like all the right auditing and yeah, same, pe- same people. We
0: yeah,
1: we don't do anything in house other than we're building this AI model for investments, which is basically, uh, you know, doing research about once we know the tokens we want to invest in it shows us different views you know uh why we should be investing where so that helps us you know decide even in a you know better way about where to invest so sure. uh, so that that that's the only in house thing that we have everything we use experts you know all okay. the standard leading providers you know for for our systems so our uh, our you know, NAV fund admin is done by NAV consulting as well. They're, you know, the top provider for NAV, consul, uh, for the uh, fund administrator, yeah, fund yeah, yeah. administration in the yeah. uh, area of crypto. Yeah. And so you guys are all set stuff. up just like
0: all the other super mega shops, just a little more yeah, affordable. It a, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, because, nice. you
1: know, to be honest, if even if you're accredited investors, 500K is a lot of money. That's a lot, that's and a lot then of money. A lot of people... Yeah, people have to go into LLC, they have to find five more people, you know, and Mm -hmm. do LLC, you know, everybody puts in $50,000. And then they that way they invest with these competitors that we have. So we made it accessible. And we are also accessible in the sense that in those companies, you can probably get to a customer service, you know, person in Mudra right now, you can directly talk to me and my partner, if you have any question, investments so that accessibility is really working out for our existing investors.
0: Oh yeah, no. I I would personally love that. Like I, like I like I told you earlier I hate the automated systems. I want to call somebody like right now. So Yeah. Um, well, cool. Awesome point. Thank you so much for doing this. Um if you're an advisor out there listening, go check out uh you know Mudra Capital. Have a look. Obviously, you're making your own decisions. It's not my recommendation, but you know the drill. Um and we'll leave it there you're you're welcome back anytime Juan so um I really enjoyed this
1: awesome uh thanks for having me it was real pleasure talking about crypto we can go on for days and days it's such an <laughs> yeah. interesting topic um uh, thanks for having me and would love to come back again and talk about another topic or even crypto cool we'll make it happen all right